Yolanda Cadenasis and Ward Stair, it's good to talk with you here at All Classical Portland about American Rapture. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yolanda, Jennifer Higdon is a composer that you apparently have admired for quite some time. Is the harp concerto the first piece that she's written for you? Yes, absolutely. This is um, the culmination of about a 10-year project. Uh, Got into her queue quite some time ago and nudged her along the way to get ourselves to this point where we have this wonderful concerto that I really think is going to become iconic in the harp, harp concerto repertoire. Yolanda, there's a wonderful little trailer that you were involved in where you're talking to Jennifer Higdon And you mentioned that, referring to her music, you were struck by the power and the magic of her music. Did you, do you feel that she brought that into the harp concerto? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the very first time I I heard her music, uh, I was standing backstage waiting to walk on and play the Ginastera harp concerto. They opened the concert with Blue Cathedral. And I remember kind of stopping in my tracks thinking, wow, who is that? What is that? That composer has a language that would be amazing on the harp. And, you know, it's her, her mastery of color and voicing and the originality of her sound that I think really brought something so special uh, to the harp in this. And yes, absolutely, I do think she brought both power and magic to this concerto. And it's interesting the way she organized it. The first and the third movements are probably uh, a little more about magic. And the second and the fourth movements are all about power and buoyance and just energy. So uh, she really covered the bases. Ward, let's bring you into the conversation. You are the uh, music director of the Rochester Philharmonic and conduct on this recording on the Azica label. What for you about the Higdon Concerto seems magical? Is it possibly in the instrumentation? Uh, That certainly has something to do with it. I think um, one of the things that struck me about it pretty early on was um, the way that Jennifer is able to capture Yolanda's personality and her kind of identity as an artist, but also the piece. I mean, it's not a suit that's only tailor-made to fit Yolanda. It will fit others, too. And I think that's the mark of a truly brilliant creator and a a great composer uh, when you can have a piece that is so well-suited to Yolanda but also will stand the test of time. And there are a lot of new sounds that you'll hear in the piece. I remember when I was looking at the score for the first time, particularly the percussion section attracted a lot of my attention because the way Yolanda writes for the percussionists in the orchestra is fantastic. And of course, you know, she wrote a great percussion concerto a few years earlier, which I've also conducted before, and that's a great piece. So she knows, uh, she knows every section so well and manages to find these new sounds. I mean, there's one moment in the fourth movement, for example, that we talk about a lot where um, she found this effect where you take a crotale and you hit it, which is like a small little cymbal, and you gradually, you slowly lower it onto the, the snare drum head, and if the snares are on, it sounds for a moment, you hear the bell 
uh, and the cymbal, and then you, it sounds like there's a roll on the snare drum starting, and then you drop it on the head of the drum, and it stops. And it's the coolest sound. I mean, it's totally new. And I remember when I first looked in the score, I thought, wow, what is that? And <laughs> I talked to Jennifer about it, and she said, I know. And she was just, you know, had this, like, almost like the excitement of a, of a kid. Like, yeah, isn't yeah. that cool? You know, and, and just the whole experience was, was like that. It, it was fun. It was organic. It was enjoyable. It was collaborative. It just felt like a team effort. Like we were just, you know, having fun making music and discovering these sounds. You know, and then when I think about it and take a step back, it's like, wow, okay, Jennifer Higdon is one of the most important composers um, that we have today, and she couldn't be more modest and generous and, and more of a wonderful person to work with. But I think this, this concerto is really going to be a fantastic addition to the repertoire, not just for harpists, but for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Jennifer is a real, what I would maybe call a master of originality, mm-hmm. because... There are interesting effects all over the place that one isn't necessarily accustomed to hearing, and yet it's not just a catalog of special effects, which I think is a danger. The more we explore different sounds and colors and textures and we have different tools and equipment and more is accepted by audiences nowadays, I think there is that temptation to just make it a bunch of cool effects. But she threads it together with actual music. And it's, I think it's special in so many ways, but that's just one of them. Well, and there, just to, to piggyback on that, there are a lot of big moments in the piece. I mean, when you, when you think of a harp concerto, you don't necessarily think of a piece that, you know, that really rocks and really grooves <laughs> and really drives and everything. Um, but for me, the highlight of it is really the third movement, mm-hmm. which is chamber music. She scales everything down, and it's just a handful of instruments, you know, just principles in the strings and woodwinds and percussion. And it feels so fragile and tender and sincere and delicate, and, and I just think it's, it's special. It's so special, mm-hmm. that movement. But, you know, in, in our conversations together, describing my own daughter to her, I think she she's a good listener because not only did she hear so much of what I asked for or what I wished for, rather, in a concerto, but she also heard the, the spirit of what I told her about my daughter, I'm pretty sure, because this is not a sleepy lullaby. Um, it is a, a precocious lullaby, almost. It's not terribly slow, which is, is how she wanted it. She wanted it to really keep moving, which would certainly describe my daughter as well. Um, I don't think I've ever in my whole life gotten more than eight hours of sleep out of that child. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the lullaby is, there's like a, an energy and a wonder about it rather than just, a, you know, picturing rocking a child to sleep, which I think is yet another, you know, test of her originality. And the piece has incredible range. I mean, you've, you've just described some of that range. Some of it, I mean, Yolanda, you just rock the harp, <laughs> clearly. Oh. But, I mean, you, you're not... When, when I hear you play the harp, I, I don't see somebody in a long, frilly dress, and it's all very elegant. I mean, you, you get in there and you just pull everything that the harp has to give you out of it. And, and Higdon's piece seems to give that to you. 
Yeah, it really does. I mean, I asked her, please give me a groove. Let me kind of catch a musical wave. I don't want to just sit there with my hands in my lap while the orchestra gets to rock out. I want I want to be a part of that texture. And um, that that's kind of part of my MO as, as an artist. And, and I remember a funny question I was once asked by a radio DJ. He said, you know, I noticed you don't wear white. Why is that? And... <laughs> And I thought, well, uh, that's, uh, you know, I'm just not a white-wearing gal, and plus I like spaghetti. But, you know, I think every artist has their own personality, and I think Jennifer talks about how whenever she writes a solo concerto, she tries to kind of lock into the personality of the premiering artist as sort of like a, a signature or a timestamp on the on the piece itself. And I'm honored that I was... I was able to collaborate with her on this, but I tried not to get too far into her head or her process. You you know, I don't think there's anything to be gained by kind of telling a composer how to write a piece. Um, you gotta kind of let them do their thing, give them as much input as you can before they start, and then just kind of stand back. Yolanda, it sounds like the harp concerto was some, I mean, you, you had to wait quite a while for it to happen and it finally did. Are you eager to work with Jennifer Higdon again or, or hope to? Oh, sure. I think, you know, whenever you establish a relationship with a composer, you hope that that will provide other experiences down the line. Right now, I'm just really focused on making sure this piece gets played and played and played and, you know, really, really finds its its place, you know, in the genre and becomes as standard a concerto as the Ginostera. And I, I think it definitely has that potential. I love the piece. Uh, I mean, it's one of the most exciting beautiful pieces that have come across my desk in a while and I can't wait to play it on the air. One of the things that I love about it is just that it is for movements. It kind of throws you off those expectations of, okay, here's here's the big first movement, here's the slow movement, here's the big finale. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. It it takes you, you know, in different different areas of, uh, of sound as well as emotion. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I think, you know, really four is a very symmetrical number, but in terms of solo concertos, it's, it's almost an asymmetrical number based on what we become accustomed to, that kind of bookend idea. And um, I feel like she really checked a lot of boxes with this. And, and on top of it all, it's, it's really fun to play. And, you know, the harp can be such a touchy, kind of eggshell-walking, tightrope-creeping instrument because it's, it's just difficult. Not only are you trying to make music on an instrument, but you're also operating a, you know, an 18th century machine at the same time. So, you know, whenever you have a piece that allows you to, as you say, kind of rock out, to really lose yourself in it a little bit. I mean, it's difficult. There's nothing you, you can't check out at any moment. But the writing is such that you can lock and and just really, really enjoy being part of that giant, big, powerful texture. And, and almost for just a split second, stand back and say, God, is this cool or what? And, uh, you know, that's kind of what you, what you hope for as a musician, I think. Ward, um, of course, these conversations, uh, they go by so fast, uh, and I did want to devote the majority of it to the Higdon Harp Concerto. But the CD, I want to say, is, is a wonderful encapsulation, if that's a word, of, of three different aspects of the American sound. Samuel Barber representing the 20th century and his, his beautiful uh, sound. And then Patrick Harlan, the youngest composer, the newest composer, new to me, 
Uh, he's, what, about 35 years old, and he wrote a piece about going down into a deep cave. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, Rapture is a piece that I think is wonderfully descriptive, incredibly creative, and um, Patrick is a composer who already, you know, 35 is relatively young for a composer, mid-30s, you know, and he's already many years ago found his voice. And I think that when we were discussing how to put this album together, we rather quickly arrived at the idea of having these different generations, as you said, of, uh, of American music represented in American sound. So I'm glad that that comes across uh, for you when you listen to the album. But Patrick, uh, his piece called Rapture is one of my favorites to program as a guest conductor and also with my home orchestra. And um, it takes you on this great journey in about eight minutes. It starts with this wonderful sense of anticipation and this buzz and this you know wide-eyed wonder almost uh, seeing what's in store in this great journey through these caves. Then there's a slower middle section where uh, I like to think of it as, um, you know, the cavers maybe arrive at a point where the claustrophobia of the tunnel is gone for a moment and the space is more cavernous and perhaps they look around and set their eyes for the first time. Maybe no other human has ever set foot in that space or seen these things. So there's a great sense of awe. And then the journey moves forward and they keep going deeper and deeper. And rapture is not a word that is meant to represent anything religious. Rather, it's a feeling that cavers talk about a sensation where it's like a primal urge to escape and also this extreme emotion. And you can imagine being in this claustrophobic environment, in some cases, you know, total darkness for weeks at a time. That would really be intense, right? So um, it builds and builds and builds, and the orchestra really gets whipped up into quite a frenzy. But I always like to tell the audience that it's a happy ending. They make it back to the surface, into the sunshine, so nothing to worry about there. But it is quite a trip that Patrick Harlan takes us on in about eight minutes with Rapture. So I'm thrilled that we could uh, include that on this uh, recording as well. And if I could just put out a, a nod to your engineers and mixers for the CD, it's a gorgeous sounding recording. I would not be surprised if it's nominated for a Grammy for both the music as well as just the way it was engineered. Well, I couldn't agree more. They did a fantastic job at Azika. Oh, absolutely. And I think even more astounding given the fact it's a live recording mm -hmm. because <laughs> the moving parts become exponentially increased when you're doing that, and they're fabulous. And no loud coughing during the quiet parts. <laughs> no, no, no. Our audience was very well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No strings broken or sneezing. Good supporters of, of, of the Rochester Philharmonic. Well, Ward Stair, as conductor of Rochester Philharmonic and harpist Yolanda Kandanasis, thank you so much for the time to talk to our Portland audiences today about American Rapture. Our pleasure. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Bye-bye.